In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. As you know, May 23rd is coming up, and that will be Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday. And uh, we wanted to prepare for this marvelous uh, solemnity, the coming of the Holy Spirit, by, by understanding how grace works in our soul. How this protagonism of the Holy Spirit contributes to our sanctification. How does this work? And this great mystery, the mystery of Pentecost, that moment in which the Holy Spirit entered or, or came down upon the apostles, is at the root of that. Because grace, we hear this word often, grace. What is grace? It's a great mystery, no doubt, we've heard about. In fact, there have been uh, enormous uh, controversies in the church about this. How it works, like with regards to people's good works, how they, they make effort, they struggle, or how salvation works, uh, how grace saves us, or you know, whole councils of the church have been convened with bishops from all over the world, from east and west, uh, coming in there trying to define better what grace is. There were controversies in the early church when the nature of Jesus Christ was trying to be better understood and also, of course, to denounce heretics like Arius, uh, famous Arius or Nestorius, all these these heretics, now we've gotten rid of them, you know, but uh, but even later on, there were heretics like Luther, who was uh, a heretic who produced just like upheavals of anxiety all over the place because of their conflicted understanding of how grace works in the soul, especially with regards to salvation and how faith works and how ultimately, you know, how do we understand God's action in the soul? Luther is known to have uh, sort of been filled with a lot of scruples about whether he was working hard enough, struggling hard enough. In the end, he says, I don't have to do anything, zero, it's all grace, everything is grace, God does everything. Right? And uh, he really dug in his heels, meaning he wanted, he felt that grace was everything and he did not have to do anything at all in some ways. Others said, no, no, you have to try harder, you have to be more pure, you have to put a better human effort. And this led to a deep sense of unworthiness among many people in front of the mysteries of faith. So, I mean, in the history of the church, there have been a lot of controversies, so we have to try to understand what is grace and how do we understand it in the best way possible, though it is a mystery and we won't fully understand it. But we say in very short terms, grace is 
the life of God in humans, in us. It's the life of God, the life of God. And that is one God, but three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like they're all, they're all in there, right? Going down the hallways and, you know. And uh, in other words, uh, we say that it is uncreated. Because God is not created. God has always been there, right? He's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit have always been there. They've, like, they've never been, they're uncreated. They've never been created. They're eternal. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So it's the uncreated grace that is in us. But then it has a divinizing effect. It leaves something behind. In other words, it's grace is divine in origin, but has a divinizing effect. Kind of like when you stamp, you have a stamp, you stamp something, and you leave an effect there, you take the stamp away, you go and use it somewhere else, but you leave an effect, right? And so grace is not some kind of like liquid substance uh, that seeps into the soul and cleans everything out. Some special substance. You know, when you say, you know, I'll give you the, the grace of... Uh, Forgiveness, and we imagine I don't know, some kind of thing that enters. It's really more like God entering into our apartment with a mop and a bucket and uh, powerful instruments to clean. And he goes in there and he does what he has to do. So imagine you had to go into somebody's apartment and you had to go and clean the place, you had to fix the furniture, you had to fix all the decoration, decoration is pretty bad, you know, like bad taste and all that. So you, you just had to fix the whole place up, right? And then you look and it says small windows, uh, just narrow hallways, and you said, okay, let's make this nice, a bigger hallway, like that, and, the, you know, nice paintings, original paintings, right? And, uh, so, and then you come in with the vacuum cleaner and... Uh, but of course, you can't just go into the apartment, leave the vacuum cleaner, leave the bucket, leave the mop, and leave. It's just going to sit there. Nothing's going to happen. Right? And, well, some people have these little robots that they put in the house, and they, <laughs> it goes through the house. I've seen this, right? And uh, you, go, you go to work, and then by the time you come home, the whole place is clean. You know, the whole... The, the robot has done its job, right? But... Uh, so, so for us, grace is like that. It's God actually coming in with his bucket, his cleaning instruments, and he actually does the work like he's acting. He's like a person acting in our soul. It is the life of God in us humans, and therefore gives rise to reactions and responses among us uh, creatures that are direct, that are tangible, that you know, just have an impact on who we are. Because after all, if, you, if your apartment, your house was suddenly beautifully painted on the inside, and well, you know, people would take notice, right? And not only would he paint the inside, the outside would start to show too. Put a new roof, there would be no longer a leaky roof. So in that case, we call that, so God is uncreated, but we call that effect that he leaves, we call that created grace. We call that created grace. Well, in the history of theology, that's what we call it. Not because there's a substance called grace, but because we creatures, elevated by God's self-giving, are modified. We are elevated. We become better. We become enhanced. We become 
you know, 2.0. Like we, we become better. Not just at an existential level, but as we say, on an ontological level, in our very being. Imagine what, what the theologians said over the centuries is that we were created by God for that. That's what we were created for. We were created by God for grace. That's why He created us. That's why He made our house. So He could go and clean it. That we were destined from the very beginning of our existence for communion with the Blessed Trinity. And structured, therefore, in a corresponding way. That's what we were destined for. And of course, as you can imagine, in the context of the Feast of the Feast of Pentecost, the prime actor in our destiny is the Holy Spirit, who is God. The Holy Spirit. So this, this is true on Pentecost when he came down onto the cenacle and all the apostles were there together, sheltered away with the Blessed Mother and uh, kind of still, they were with joy because, you know, the, the ascension had just happened and he told them, he'd given them this huge task and they were kind of overwhelmed at the task that Jesus had given them um, because it wasn't, like he wasn't just telling them to improve their neighborhood, right? He wasn't just telling them, you know, to be local politicians and, and uh, I don't know, lower taxes, right? He was, you know, he was, at least they understood it like that, that they had to transform the whole Roman Empire and then beyond that. Go into the whole world. The whole world, he said. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then they were all shook up, and, but then the Holy Spirit. And then they started speaking languages, like a different, like they, precisely the whole world, they understood that they had all kinds of languages. And they understood that that's what the Holy Spirit was giving them, the capacity to do. So they were strengthened, thanks to the Holy Spirit. They were able to speak. They were filled with daring. They were filled with audacity, with clarity of mind, especially with a sense of mission, of mission, when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Of course, you and I, we have all received the Holy Spirit on the, our little Pentecost, that is, when we were confirmed, like a mini Pentecost, right? So, and one of the things you, you receive when you are confirmed is a, is a kind of maturing of your faith, and you're meant to understand that you have to be responsible. You've received your baptism. Now you're on a mission from God. In my day, they used to the bishop used to slap everybody, give them a slap in the face. You know, like that. Okay, you got to get ready for the mission. So get ready for slaps, and you you get slapped in the face. I mean, it was gentle. It wasn't, uh, but uh, and people were getting ready. You know, they were getting ready for the slap. You know, because everybody knew that you were going to get it. But it was now they don't do it. They don't want to shock. They don't want to traumatize, you know, teenagers, which, like, slap them, you know, give them a good, <laughs> good preparatory slap, right? No, it's not, you don't want to slap them, but, you know, it's not a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, unless you really give them a good beating, but that, 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 that's not the point. That's not, uh... And, of course, the whole pro point of that was to give a sense of mission, right? So, uh, and many Catholics today don't have a sense of mission. Right? They don't have a sense of that at all. 
they, they're good people, they're kind, they're just, they don't steal or anything, they don't do bad things. They did their first communion, they did their confirmation, but it's as though the charism itself of confirmation and the receiving of the Holy Spirit had kind of slipped through their hands like water. You're supposed to be on fire. That's why it's all, the confirmation masses with the bishop are always red, you know, the fire of the Holy Spirit. And, and part of that fire is the sense that I have to go out to others. I have to go out, I have to help others, I have to evangelize, I have to spread the faith. But they don't, a lot of people don't see that. They're good Catholics, they go to Mass, they practice, they're nice, they're good, but they don't see their life as a mission. I don't understand why so many Catholics don't see their life as a mission. Or let's say, having this purpose of going out to others. It's kind of, maybe it's more about establishing a good and honest security for themselves, and they, they want to get a, you know, maybe mostly have a good marriage, a good family, and good, all good things, of course, right? I mean, those are not, obviously not bad things, but maybe, uh, maybe they respect those who do that, that is, who do go out on missions, right, who go off to uh, other countries, but they think, well, that's for some people whose lives are dedicated to others, and there are people who do that. They go to Africa, and, they, and some of them risk their lives, in very hostile territories, and they see that, and they're impressed. They, they probably they have a lot of respect for people who go out on missions or who are called missionaries. But Saint Josemaria didn't like to call us, or, or didn't like to call us missionaries, in the sense that we are not. That's not like our like our job. Like everybody is supposed to be a missionary in, in principle. Everybody, right? So all people, all Catholics, by virtue of their baptism and their confirmation, should be missionaries. But it's true, some people go into very good, you know, have that task. But is it possible that some people have this mistaken idea that at the root of sanctity and apostolate, that the reason they are don't have a sense of mission is because somehow they have taken in this wrong idea that sanctity and apostolate is really just a, a human thing. It's like a... It's, a, it's the work of human beings. And uh, so, therefore, what we need to do is have a clear program of perfection to set to work, have courage, have patience, uh, you know, and achieve this little by little, and then we'll achieve sanctification, and we'll achieve good work in the mission and all that. And there's lots to do. And So they think, so some of them think, well, that's good, it's a lot of work, it's not for me, so I, I won't do it. And they, or... Or they see the difficulty of the work and they get discouraged. And it does. It does take courage and patience. But the, the fact is that our mission to be in the middle of the world and to do apostles is, is a task that is well beyond our power. Way beyond. And indeed, our Lord says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. Because alone, those, if it hadn't been for the Holy Spirit, I mean, we wouldn't know what Christianity is today. It would just be a little blip in history, and not even a blip. It would, uh, it would have been not even recorded in, in history at all. 
some guy who gets crucified, whatever. And nobody would have taken note. Nothing would have happened. Life would have gone on. But that's not what happened. Because the Holy Spirit came in there. And it was not just their courage, their audacity. It was the Holy Spirit acting through them. So even when we look at ourselves, however great our efforts are, we can't change ourselves. Only God really can get to the root and to the bottom of our defects our limitations in the field of love, in the field of virtues, of chastity, of, you know, we think we, I can't do this. Yeah. But only he has sufficient mastery over our hearts for that. And if we realize that, well, we will save ourselves a great deal of discouragement. People get discouraged, right? Because they think, I can't do that. I can't go out and do that. That's way too hard. I can't do I can't overcome this problem I have. We don't have to become saints on our own power. And when we talk about the universal call to sanctity, it's, it's, it's not our power. We have to learn how to let God make us saints, to come into our apartment, to come into our house, to do the work. In fact, it's not only, it's not only God in general, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I've always been amazed. You ever see these uh, these Grand Prix races, right? With these cars with the big wheels and, you know, the spoilers behind. And, the, and then you see a little guy with a helmet there, you know, and they're, they're whipping around. And, and uh, they have a very good car, good horsepower, big wheels. Uh, and they zoom along. They hug the inside of the, right, of the track and... And they have to go slower in the curve so as not to lose control and stuff. But, but after a while, the, the tires, they run out, as is understandable. You know? and, and so they have these amazing pit stops, right? The pit stops. And you ever see these guys, they go, and then they go into the pit stop, and they go into their team, right? And their whole team comes down like clockwork into this incredible, you know, like... Uh, almost like an attack on the car. One guy has the wheels, another guy has the pistol thing to remove the bolts, another guy lifts the car, like that, right? And uh, it's like a ballet, it's like a ballet. All these guys around the car, and the, and the driver is there just waiting, and he's saying, okay guys, let's go, let's move it, you know? And then one guy's, okay, go! And then the guy goes out again. All he has to do is press the gas. That's it, right? He just pressed ball. He has to drive and stuff, but uh, you know, you know. But his main task is to press the gas. But when he wins and he's on the podium, he says, "I'd like to thank my team, the uh, Ferrari team or whatever team, you know." And and those are the guys that really won the team, the, the the race for him, right? And we too, when we think about that in our sanctification, you know, we're surrounded by a whole team as well. We're surrounded by angels. We're surrounded by saints, of course. Uh, but the driving force is the Holy Spirit. He's like the gas inside the car. right? And then the Father and the Son, they work in unison. They don't just take off the tires. I don't know what they do, but they work. You know, they, they, you know, uh, I guess there's limits to this image, but, uh, but you know, you know, they're part of the team effort, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to make us move ahead in this uh, marvelous task of winning this race of sanctity. 
So we have to press the gas. And that pressing the gas and turning the, the steering wheel and all that and hugging on the curve, that's our freedom. That's our freedom. And occasionally we'll spin out and hit other drivers. Okay, okay, we'll just go back, you know, go back into the pit stop and, you know, they'll give us new tires. Just give us new tires. That's okay. But we have to move. And, we, of course, the weird thing about Grand Prix is they just go around in circles, you know. They just circle, circles. And, yeah. But ours is not just going around in circles. It's not just like a competition, you know. It's, um, so... You know, we're going straight to the goal. And we should fight not simply to attain holiness as a result of our own efforts, but to let God act in us. That's what the Feast of Pentecost tells us about. Without putting any resistance to the Holy Spirit, never putting resistance, we should fight to open ourselves as much as possible to His grace. Well, to His grace. See, grace, we think of it as a kind of a liquid, as though the Holy Spirit says, okay, here, I'm going to pour, pour something in you, you know. No, it's Him. It's like the Holy Spirit. He's the one who sanctifies us. He comes in there. And this opening ourselves requires humility. Uh, it means uh, renouncing our own tendencies that sometimes are born of pride. Sometimes we just want to manage ourselves. We just want to do things ourselves. It means accepting our own weakness, our poverty. But at the same time, knowing that we're always surrounded by this team, like the race car driver, is very encouraging to think that. Right? And then probably, well, we'll, we'll get all the, uh, we'll get all, we'll get the gold medal, you know. But I mean, they always thank their team. But but the winner is the winner, right? And of course. The reason it's encouraging is that our own powers are limited, but God's power and His love are not limited. They're not. That's amazing what He can do, even with our, our own weakness. We shouldn't be discouraged. We have weaknesses. We have limitations. So don't worry. That's okay. God acts, and, he, and we can unfailingly obtain the help of that power and that love, you know, despite our weaknesses. We just have to recognize our weaknesses, you know, humbly, trust in, and hope in God alone. It's pretty simple, I mean, right? But it takes years to put that into practice. It's kind of like being open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. To be simple to His nudging. Maybe He's saying, here, I want you to be a little bit more uh, generous here with this person, smile at this annoying person, be kind here, work harder here, don't go to YouTube, no, no, no time now for that, later. And uh, we, you know, we, we are maybe lazy or prone to laziness. And like the race car driver, we have a road ahead. And only God knows what this road of our life really consists of. Only God knows. That is, what challenges are to come down the road. What difficulties you might have two years, three years, four years, five years, ten years down the road. What will your joys be? What your sadnesses be? We don't know. 
Where are you going to be 10 years from now? Who knows? I mean, you have an idea, but only really God knows. I mean, who would have thought that we'd be in a pandemic for two years, you know? Who thought that? Oh, yeah, Bill Gates knew. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what they say. Bill Gates knew in whatever, whatever year, you know? But it's okay. Now we're sanctifying ourselves through pain, through Zoom fatigue, through loneliness, through anxiety. We're doing it. And the Holy Spirit is, he's got a new speciality to help us through Zoom calls. And the holiness that we're called to, well, it's only revealed by degrees as we journey you know, and, and it's often something very different from what we imagine, that, that call to holiness. So much so the greatest uh, obstacle to this path of holiness may be to cling too much to our own idea of perfection. Right? I mean, maybe when our Lord ascended, the apostles were getting together. We often picture them as, as being afraid and all that, but maybe they were just getting together in order to have a, a strategy that was going to be a good marketing plan. Right? And, the, and Peter was saying, okay, I have an idea. You know, This is what we're going to do. Uh, uh, I'm going to photocopy some papers, and you, Thomas, you're going to do this, and, you know, like totally useless stuff, right? And then the Holy Spirit comes and, boom, changes their plans, right? So what God wants is different from what we expect. So how can I know what God wants from me? Well, we don't know offhand, but we can be attentive to His graces, especially to those what we call these inner promptings, you know, these little, these little movements, we call them movements of the Holy Spirit in our soul. That, but they're deep in the depths of our soul, in our heart, well, we just, we just know he's asking this of me. He's asking me here to be quiet, or he's asking me to talk, or he's asking me to be more, I don't know, generous. So to become holy, to become saints, we have to really try hard to do God's will. And it, it, sure, it comes in Scripture, we see it in the commandments, but there is something specifically that he wants from you in this time, right? something specific. And we can't fight in all fronts, like everywhere. There's something specific. Maybe we can come out of this recollection with a concrete, specific area that our Lord is asking each one of us. That's what He's asking of me now. Maybe, like imagine, maybe we say, I have this character defect. I'm always like this. I'm always... Blah, blah. Well, maybe... Maybe our Lord is just asking us to be humble and accept this defect and to be a little, maybe a little bit more gentle with ourselves. I don't know. But it's this promptings, or rather listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That'll, that'll be amazing if we could do that. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle them in them the fire of your love. Like this amazing fire that will burn within us and that will warm up all the surrounding well, you know, it's been cold these last few days I don't know when the spring is going to come but it, uh, so we have to 
let the Holy Spirit warm us up and and then well pretty soon we'll be complaining about the heat but uh, but uh, you know the Holy Spirit can heat us up and make us on fire with the love of God. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, and my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.